Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, that's where we're going to be at um, this summer as we study through the seven churches in the book of Revelation. We see these seven letters that are written to them. And as we start off tonight, I want you to, to answer a question, not out loud, but to yourself, of where or how, I guess a better way to say is, how would you describe your relationship with God? How would you describe your relationship with God current, like this moment, current relationship with God? How would you describe it? If you had to, to go on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like on fire, like, yeah, let's go, and 1 being, meh, this is kind of what my parents expect me to do, my grandmother or grandfather expect me to do, where would you define, where would you rate yourself with your relationship with God? If you have to define the amount of time that you spend with God outside of Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings, how much time do you spend with him a week? How much time did you spend with him six months ago or three months ago or two years ago? What does that time frame look like? Because we're going to look at tonight, as we look at these seven churches, tonight we're looking at the church in Ephesus. And kind of a little background here, we have John that is writing this. He is being called up into this vision, and Jesus is writing these letters to these churches. They were historical churches, historically accurate. They did really exist. And he's giving them warnings. He's giving them encouragement. He's giving them a promise of these letters some 2,000 years Later, we still can find the same warnings and the same encouragement and the same promises to us. When we look at this church, Ephesus was a really big deal. Ephesus was a, was a church of great importance, a church that was well-respected, a church that was well-loved. If we think of it in this way, Ephesus was a lot like New York City, okay? Everybody wanted to end up in Ephesus. Like, New York City is the city that never sleeps. You go there, and if we think of historically, like, half the immigrants that have come to the United States, where do they come through? New York. All roads lead to New York in some way in the East Coast, and it's a city that holds all the money. It was a city that our first capital was at. It's a city that holds so much significance. There are so many songs and so many movies based off the city New York, it's important. It is prominent in our culture. And that's kind of how Ephesus was. Ephesus was the New York of its day. It housed one of the seven wonders of the world, which was the Temple of Diana. Like it was this, this temple of God of fertility. And it was bigger than the Pantheon. If you'd ever heard of the Pantheon in your history classes, probably not. Thank you. I'm glad Faith Academy stepping it up. Um, it wasn't Faith Academy somewhere else. Covenant. It's probably Covenant. Covenant does their job. So in that, we see that this pantheon, this huge, massive temple that Ephesus had, something way larger than that there. It was a city that had three major trade routes that came into the city. It was a city that was free. It was a city of great importance. And then when we look even further on the Christian side of the church at Ephesus, we know Paul went to Ephesus. Did he not? Do we remember that when we looked in Acts last year? He spent... A couple years in Ephesus, loving on the church and encouraging the church. And we see later in Acts that as he is headed to Rome, he comes to Miletus and he calls out, bring the Ephesian elders to me. So they had 
Paul there at one point. We also see in the New Testament that Timothy was in Ephesus at one point. And not only was Paul and Timothy, but there was a time that John was in the church at Ephesus. Those are three big names in New Testament church history, right there in this city of Ephesus, pouring into these brothers and sisters in Christ. <coughs> As one guy wrote this week, he said this, here is a second generation church that apparently was living off the prestige and momentum of the past that was great, but the present condition was spiritual paralysis, meaning this was a city that had giants of the faith at this time that had come in and loved on these brothers and loved on these sisters in Christ. But the people that were currently there some 30 to 40 years after Paul had been there and Timothy had been there were still living off of what happened at first, and they really didn't know who Paul and Timothy were. The scene had changed, and because the scene had changed, Jesus, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prompts John to pin this letter to the church at Ephesus. So if you have your Bible, you've opened up with me to Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to start reading here in verse 1. It says this, To the, an to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for tonight. And God, I pray as we come to this time, Lord, of, of opening your word and, and studying your word, God, I pray that you speak to us. God, may we heed the words that you give to this church, God, that's so relevant to us today. God, we can't live off of our past spiritual conditions. God, we have to grow and we have to mature. We have to remember from where we've fallen. So Lord, I pray that we'll do that just tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we'll see a few things here tonight. The first thing we see is we see Christ's authority. Christ's authority, we see this in verse 1. In each one of these letters, as he's writing to the church, Christ is depicting exactly who he is. He's laying his authority out. If we think about this, if we were in here tonight, Chase started acting up, Chase starts going all crazy on us, and Talon's like, hey man, this, this isn't the time or the place, we're, we're not going to act up. What would Chase probably do if Talon told him to stop? Probably not listen. Probably like, bro, who do you think you are? Like, do you, do, do you know who you're talking to? Why? Does Talon have authority over Chase's life? No, is Talon in a position to have authority? No, because if someone's not in the position to have authority, are we probably going to listen to them? Probably not. Some of you aren't going to listen to people that are in authority over your life, much less someone that's not. But, but here we, we see that he's laying out his authority, and his authority hits differently than someone who doesn't have authority. If we see that I was to tell Chase, Chase, this isn't the time. Like, we're not going to act this way. 
Chase is probably more likely to listen to me because I have that authority to speak and tell him how he is and is not supposed to act. If not, he knows I'm going to make a phone call. But we have authority in Christ here in stating his authority to the angel of the church at Ephesus right. He who holds the seven stars in his hands. And when he says that in verse 1, that picture of holding, so often we think of I'm holding something. Am I holding my Bible right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm holding my Bible. But the difference here in the Greek in this text is when he's holding them in his hands, he's not just holding part of them. Like, I'm holding part of the Bible, but I don't have complete control. This Bible isn't completely in my hand. The imagery here is that I hold the seven stars in my hand, is that Christ has his whole hand around them. You know, it's that, that little coin that we can hold and grip around our hand, and it does not go anywhere. It's completely engulfed in our hand. We have complete control and complete authority over it. And that is the imagery that Christ has here when he's writing to the church at Ephesus. Is he who holds the seven stars in his hands. Is Christ has complete authority. He is holding them completely in his hand. And not only does he say, I have complete authority and that I'm holding you in my hand. He says, but I also walk among the seven golden lampstands. We're going to see this imagery of lampstands. Lampstands are symbolic of the, the Spirit of God that dwells within the body. And we see that he walks among them, meaning he knows them intimately. Christ knows his church intimately. It, it isn't like if, if we have Luke 4.18 here, we have Dayspring down the road and Cottage Hill down the road and Westmobile down the road and, and Oak Park down the road that Christ just kind of knows a little bit about what's going on. No, his presence through the working of the Holy Spirit is in all places at all times, and he knows intimately where each church is. He knows intimately where each one of us are and our relationship with him. And so he's stating out his credentials that I am in complete authority over you. Not only do I hold you in my hands and control every aspect of you, but I know you intimately in that I walk among you. I know where you're at. I know what you have done. He knows them. So Christ states out his authority here at the church at Ephesus, and then we move on into the next thing, is we see that they had good works and good doctrine. Good works and good doctrine. Verses 2 and 3 says, I know your works, and your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. Found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. He lists out seven different things that they do there, but in the big picture he says, I know your good works, and I know your doctrine. You're doing the right things. Your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil. You're doing all of these things. And he says, I know your works. The imagery here is that they're doing the right things. They've almost exhausted themselves in doing the right stuff while they patiently endure, bearing up for his name's sake. They're bearing one another's burdens. They're bearing the burdens of other people, and they have not grown weary in doing so. But they're not dead. They're not just doing these works. They're loving and caring for one another. One another. They're, they're, they're doing all of this stuff. They have the right things going on. They're, they're active, okay? This isn't like he's going, gosh, get off your butt and start doing something for me. Do, do, do we ever see that? Let's think, okay, it's summertime. 
for most of us, okay? Some of us, is just another day in the neighborhood. But for, for most of y'all in here, y'all, y'all are, are, are enjoying the summer. You, you get to rest a little bit to some degree. But normally, if it was like me growing up, your mom or your dad kind of gave you a few more chores during the summer that you may or may not have gotten during the school year. Anybody? Am I the only one? Yeah, a few more, because you know what? You have more time to do stuff around the house, like more time to do laundry and dishes and cut the grass and weed eat the grass and other things that they let go by throughout the year until I was free to do my uh, manual child, child labor around the house, the removal of bushes and monkey grass. That was what I did in the summer. It was great. It was phenomenal. But we have more time to do things, and what often happens if... We just sit around all day when mom or dad has things they want us to do. What do they tell us? What in the world are you doing? Get up and do something. Like, stop waiting around. Stop wasting your time. Go outside and play. Go outside and do something. Go do some work. Go clean this. Go do that. Anybody ever heard your parents say that? Our parents, depending on the age demographic in which they grew up, their parents definitely didn't let them sit around. They, they were active. They, they did stuff. And so this is what he's saying. He's not getting on to them that, gosh, I just wish that y'all would get up and do something. I feel like I need to check your pulse. He's, he's, he's not thinking this way. They're doing stuff. They're, they're active. They're, they're doing a lot of great things. And not only are they doing a lot of great things, but they're thinking rightly. He's tested those who call them apostles and found them to be false. These people, Paul warns them when he was at Miletus, he says, hey, when I leave, there are going to be people that are going to come in and they're going to try to deceive you. There are going to be people that are going to try to teach you false doctrines. There are going to be people that want you to fall away from Christ and follow them into destructive heresies. Do not listen to them. And we see they didn't put up with those who were false apostles. They tested them to see that they were false and had nothing to do with them. But he also says towards the end of this section of this letter, he also says, I have this, you hate the Nicolaeans, which I also hate. We see this with another church here in Revelation, this Nicolaeans, what are they? The the Nicolaeans were a heretical group that broke off from the church that did a lot of the right stuff. They they talked about Christ, they emphasized the importance of the body, they emphasized all these things, but they deterred themselves from the body of Christ and the teachings of Christ in two ways. The first way is they practiced sexual immorality. Sexual sins were not an issue, which was a big thing in the culture at this time. So not only were sexual sins permissible, but they also taught that you could eat food sacrificed to idols, which if we go back and remember our study of Acts, that was a big deal when the Gentiles came into the fold in the faith, was when we get to the Jerusalem Council, they hit on the idea of, man, I don't know, they eat food sacrificed to idols, and they were like, okay, Gentiles, if you promise not to eat the food sacrificed to idols, we're going to bring you into the family. Okay, we're not going to eat food sacrificed to idols. Like, this was a resolved issue, but the Nicolaeans taught this falsely. So not only did they do the right things, were they active in growing and loving and encouraging people, taking care of the widows and orphans, they had all the right doctrine. They thought what they were supposed to think. They believed what they were supposed to believe and didn't put up with people that taught things that were lies. It'd be kind of like today. If, if we were to come in here into Luke 418 and we're in here on a Wednesday night and I was to say, you know what? Can we really believe the Bible? Is this really the word of God? What would probably happen? 
There would be issues. I would be without of a job within a couple of weeks, if not sooner. Like, if I came in and taught things that went against the teachings of God and the Word of God, the church wouldn't put up with it. Like, I would be out of here. I would be gone, completely gone. And that's what this church did. They did the right things. They had the right beliefs. But then he hits them with this problem. And what was the problem? They'd abandoned love. So we can believe all the right things intellectually and believe the right things doesn't mean that you're right with God. We can do all the right things and we can believe all the right things and still miss it. They had abandoned their first love. We'll go back into verse 4 and 6. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. That word abandoned means to leave behind. You've deserted. You have nothing to do with it. You've left it behind. At once you were red hot for God and all of a sudden, meh, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's not that important. We've left it behind. We think of this. He calls them not only to, to you've abandoned this, but he says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent. Repent. Remember. And that's why I asked you tonight is, where do you see yourself in your relationship with God? Are, are we just going through the motions? Have we abandoned him? Do we remember what it was like to be dead in our sins and trespasses? Do you remember what it was like to be lost and at war with God? Do you remember what it was like to feel broken and empty, searching, longing for something else? And what often is so common is we can come into a right relationship with God, and then as we come into a right relationship with God, we do such a great job in the church of saying, come on in. We've had our quiet time today, have we not, guys? Make sure, you don't, make sure you don't miss Wednesday night. Sunday morning, we have a life group. Then we have preaching, 1030. Hey, guys, make sure we believe the right stuff. We, we don't put up with this false doctrine. And what ends up coming so common for all of us, even me, is that we can go through the motions of doing the right stuff. We can go through the motions of, of thinking the right things. We can come to church on Sunday mornings. We can come to church on Wednesday nights. And our heart be so far away from God, we have no clue what's going on. That's why it says remember. Remember from where you follow. Remember what it was like when you first came into a relationship with God. Remember what it was like when you were at summer camp or you were at D-Now and God was working in your life. And he says, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was once like and repent. The word repent means to turn back to. Come back to him. Repent. Come back to me. Stop playing the games and living through the motions because this is what he says. If you don't, he gave him a promise. I'll remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember what I said the lampstand represented? The lampstand represented the, the Spirit of God dwelt with them. The Spirit of God dwelling with them. So what does it mean when he says, if you don't, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand? And there's a lot of great debate on this. But I'll, I'll say this. We can think the right things and do the right things and still not have a relationship with God. 
We can think the right things and do the right things and still not have a right relationship with God. What do we see in the Sermon on the Mount? Many were saying to him that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And what did Jesus say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. God desires our heart. God does not desire that we just walk through a building on Wednesday nights. God's desire for us isn't that we just check that off and say, all right, God, I'm good. God's desire for our lives is not that we just say, you know what, there is a God, because you know what, the demons say that and they shudder. We see that in James. The demons know that there's a God. The demons believe in God. But there's a difference. You can believe in something and not submit to it. And that's why it says that if you don't repent, if you don't turn, if you do not come back to me, if you do not come into a right relationship with me, I'm going to remove your lampstand. What he's saying is quit playing games, quit going through the motions, quit putting on a face, quit being fake because you're not going to fake it with me. You can convince and manipulate and make your grandparents and your parents think that you have a right relationship with God, but God knows the heart. And if the heart is not his, he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. And if we keep reading on into Revelation, he says, I'm going to throw you into a lake of fire where there's the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. This is what he's saying to the church at Ephesus. Stop going through the motions. Stop playing games. Get your life right with me or you're going to regret it. Get your life right with me or I'm removing my presence from you. I'm going to remove my blessing from your life. You're going to go through hell. You're going to endure this for forever. And this is what I want to tell you tonight, guys, is we cannot abandon our first love. We cannot play games with our relationship with God. I really struggle with the idea of backsliding because how in the world can you taste and see that the Lord is good? Yeah, we might go through seasons and we might go through moments in our lives that we struggle with our relationship. We might go through moments in our lives where we're cold and we're hurting and we're struggling. But let me tell you, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you come back. You're just like the prodigal son who knew that his father cared for them, knew his father desired him, and said, you know what, I think I knew this on my own. What did, the, what did the prodigal son end up doing? Man, even my father's hired servants are better off than I am. And they turn and repent. They come back into that right relationship with him. That is why we must draw near to God. Draw near to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Humble yourselves before him. Repent. Say, God, I can't do it. I need you. Turn and about face and come back into a right relationship with God. Because if not, it's going to be an Ichabod. The Spirit of God has departed. He says, I will depart from you unless you repent. Guys, we can think the right things and do the right things and still miss it. God's desire is for our heart. Which leads to the fourth thing that we see tonight, and that's the promise of paradise. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Let him know. To the one who conquers, I will grant he the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the promise of God. The one who conquers, the one who endures, the one who does the will of the Father who stays solid, who stays pursuing him and on fire for him, and God has captivated his heart, the one 
who continues to submit all of their life to God receive the blessing, this promise, that they get to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the garden, the everlasting life that comes. They get to dwell with God forever in paradise. That word paradise is just another way of saying in Eden. When he makes the new heavens, the new earth, he makes a new garden, and he dwells with us there. This is the promise that we get to endure with God forever. So the question comes down to this tonight. Where's your relationship with God? Would you say you have a relationship with him? Has, has there been a time in your life where you said, God, I know that I've messed up. I know that I'm a sinner. And God, everything in this world is not satisfying me. Everything in this world is not making me happy. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am empty. God, that I'm hurting and I'm searching and I need you. God, so that's where you find yourself at tonight. God's calling you to him. He's calling you to that right relationship with him. But for some of others up here tonight, you've experienced a relationship with God. You've had great moments. You've had great experiences. You felt him. But where is your heart today? What does your quiet time look like? What is your time with the Lord? What does your time in the Word look like? What does it look like when you're in worship? When you come in here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning? What does it look like? Are you just going through the motions? Because if you're going through the motions, I'll tell you, repent. God knows. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. You can make your parents think that you're the greatest Christian in the world. You can make your parents think you're the best and most amazing person. Your grandmother can be so happy with you. Your grandpa can be so happy. And they go, oh my goodness, you just wouldn't believe them. God knows. God sees right through the lies. God sees right through the mask. Some of you in here tonight need to examine your hearts, just like the church at Ephesus, and see from where you've fallen. What is it in your life that has kept you away from falling more in love with God? What is it in your life that has hindered you from growing? What is it in your life that you say, God, I just love this more than you? Because that's the warning to the church at Ephesus. That's the warning to the church here. That's the warning to you. Unless you repent, he removes his lampstand. So will you repent today? So we come to this time of invitation, this time of reflection. Some of y'all in here tonight, y'all really need to examine your lives to see, God, am I really in a relationship with you that glorifies you? God, am I, am I really living on fire for you, God, am I just going through the motions? And if it's the motions, you need to repent. There's adults in here that would love to talk to you tonight. The, the altar up here is open if you want to come up here and pray. Whatever it is God's Spirit has spoken to you, may you be obedient. May he who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says tonight. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray as we come to this time of reflection, Lord, if there's someone in here tonight that doesn't know you, God, may tonight be the night of salvation for them. God, they realize that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. But God, I, I pray, God, as we look at the church at Ephesus, God, they had the right things. They were there. They thought the right things, but God, they still didn't love you. 
that still didn't submit their lives to you, God. And I pray that tonight, God, we truly will examine our hearts to see where we are in a relationship with you. God, why are our Bibles are dusty? God, why we forget them at home? Because they really obviously don't mean that much to us. God, when was the last time that we spent intimate time with you? In your word and in prayer. God, in private worship. God, because the same thing that you said to the church at Ephesus, God, that you hold them in your hand. God, you hold each and every one of our lives in your hand completely. You're not holding us by the ear. You're not holding us by the arm. God, you hold all of our lives in your hands, complete authority over every aspect. God, only that, but you know everything. You walk among us. You dwell among us, God. You know our heart. You know where we're at. And as such, Lord, you know if we really love you. God, you know if we really have a real relationship with you. God, I pray that your spirit convicts us to stop faking it. To stop going through the motions. God, because your warning is real. God, may we take heed. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.